Hey folks, this week on the show we've got Matt Steffen. Uh, Matt is a longtime FLW Tour Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit Pro. He's fishing the Invitationals again next year. We kind of go deep on his decision to do that. Um, we talk about the schedule. We talk in pretty good depth about a couple of key rule changes for next year. Um, we uh, had a good time kind of per- prognosticating for 2023, I would say. Um, we also talk about, let's see, Lost Fish, um, a new lure company that he's starting, and uh, also, sadly, we talked a little bit about ice, um, which is never a good thing. Um, anyhow, happy Thanksgiving, thanks for listening, and uh, here's Matt. Alrighty, and we are joined now by Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, and now Tackle Warehouse Invitational Pro, Matt Steffen, um, one of my favorite people in Wisconsin, and uh, honestly, I would say generally a pretty exciting person to watch fish, uh, in part because it, the title at Sturgeon Bay was so dope, and that just carries over for like decades and decades. Um, thanks for well, coming on, man. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Jody. As long as I can be one of your favorites in Wisconsin, that's all that matters to me. I I, uh, I rank it. It goes cheese curds, <laughs> Matt Steffen. I'll take that. I love cheese curds too. The, uh, the you know what I've the the thing with cheese curds now in Wisconsin, it's starting to get popular to like play around with a bunch of other cheeses. So now you can get like fancy cheese curds, like pepper jack cheese curds, curds with like different flavorings. If you, when we go, this is what we'll do. When we go to Lacrosse this year, I'll take you to Milwaukee Burger Company. They've got some of the best cheese curds around of multiple different flavors. All right, I'm in. You that takes zero convincing. What's your? Um, do you have a cheese curd preference? Because I know sometimes you can get like a variety. You, I guess there's white and yellow. Basically, are the two colors that I'm familiar with usually. <laughs> Yeah, but the the yellow is just food coloring, so it really doesn't matter. Okay, that's it. The the yeah, I I I actually prefer a fresh cheese curd over a fried cheese curd. All right. I like them squeaky. I I like a fresh cheese curd, but I am really a sucker for fried food, and so I think if I like had to pick one to eat for the rest of my life, maybe because I want to live a long life, I'd eat the fresh ones. But like. If it's a last meal, I'm probably going fried. So so doesn't Vermont kind of claim to be a big cheese state? Here's the thing. I haven't un- I don't understand this either cuz we are a big cheese state. Like I think we've got the best cheddar in the world. I would. And we have other kinds of cheese. And we don't really do cheese curds. Like it's not a thing. Like you're not going to just go into a, a restaurant and find cheese curds on the menu. That's weird. And to me. just north in Canada, he... they have poutine, which is cheese curds yeah. and gravy on fries. It's like New York, St. Lawrence River. You can't find cheese curds there. Like there's some kind of somehow the Northeast missed it, and it's a big miss. It's not, it's not can a mark you, in our favor. Can you claim to be a big cheese state without having cheese curds? Come on, I mean I seriously. Mean, I would argue you probably could. 
Um, <laughs> the, cheddar, because, the cheddar better be really good. I mean, it is, I would say, really good cheddar. And I don't think that, I mean, man, I'm sure, I'm sure there are types of cheese that Wisconsin is not the best in the world at. Maybe I could be wrong. But I feel like, you know, it's, you might, each state might have their strengths when it comes to cheese. I'll give you that. As long as we don't talk about California being a big dairy state. Dude, those cows don't even look happy. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some fishing, Jody. Alrighty. So this year you decided to fish the Invitationals and it's six tournaments there's no championship it's a definite it's definitely not the flw tour it's definitely not the tackle warehouse pro circuit it's a new thing um tell me about just sort of your decision process because you've got like your youtube is crushing it you are i think starting a bait company which we will talk about uh i feel like you know you had options and you ended up deciding the invitations were the place where you wanted to tournament fish at least for this year right yeah you know i tournaments are a huge part of of my career and they're what i truly love about the sport so i i don't want to give tournaments up the issue i have with tournaments now you know unless you're in one of the top two circuits whether that's the uh you know the the elite series or the bpt you know in either case you're that's where you want to be if you're an angler and in uh, just a few years ago the flw tour and the elites were one of the two series you wanted to be and my performance hasn't been good enough the last couple of years to bump me up to one of those leagues so my goal is to get to one of those one of those two leagues now from making a decision you know i evaluated everything i evaluate the uh, NPFL, there's a new, some new circuit, American something coming out supposedly. And I looked at those two and ultimately the, the only two circuits that interest me that I can choose from would be the, you know, the invitationals, the old pro circuit slash FLW tour or the bass opens, because in either of those cases, they get you to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am fortunate at this point based on some of the other things I have going on where I guess I don't know that I could necessarily not tournament fish. Like I didn't actually talk to my sponsors to see if they'd want to stick with me just based on making content. But the reality is like the, because I'm generating some revenue in other areas, it did give me a little bit of freedom. I felt like to make a decision as to where I wanted to go. And, you know, when I sat down and I evaluate, what's out there for me between the bass opens as well as the invitationals the invitationals even though they're nowhere near as good in a payout standpoint as they were last year they're still better in my opinion than the opens and you know in either case i think both leagues recognize that the invitationals or the bass opens are a stepping stone to the next level and you're going to have to pay your dues but i do feel like i have a uh a better chance at generating income from tournaments, just from a tournament winning standpoint by fishing the invitationals. And I've never, you know, I've never been a guy to look at a schedule 
and try to make a decision based on what I'm going to fish based on the schedule. And most of that is because living in Wisconsin, we have so few tournaments that are within a few hours, you know, five, six hours of my house. That it's a good looking schedule for you, though. What was that? I was going to say, I think this is a good looking schedule for you. Well, that that's the thing. So, like, I, you know, generally speaking, I don't ever want to look at the schedules because everything is 14 to 20 some hours away. And I don't really have a home, you know, a home lake. But when the schedule came out for the invitationals, it was like in my this will be my what 13th year this is the best looking schedule in terms of having fun and fitting my strengths that i've personally had you know we we open on okeechobee i've got a really nice track record there it's a one of my favorite places just to be at and fish we end at lacrosse which you know isn't necessarily like a home body of water but i i feel very comfortable there i love river fishing i've got a very good track record there and you know the lakes in between i've never been to clark's hill but that sets up similar to hartwell i like hartwell uh ufala is another lake i've never been to but i think that's going to be a shallow water power fishing deal the potomac we go to and i've got a love-hate relationship with that but again it's a shallow water fishery and uh i don't where's the other one we're going to uh lake of the ozarks in may yeah lake of the yeah, Lake of the Ozarks. So I haven't been there either, but that's actually one of the closest lakes I could go to from my house. It's probably only about eight hour, eight hour drive. And then, uh, you know, I like fishing the Ozarks region, so I think it'll set up in that manner. So when I looked at the schedule, I, I, I'm actually, I'm very excited to start the year. Like I'm excited to, to kind of start this invitational process. I, I think the lakes should be fun. I feel like I'm in the best place in my career from, uh, you know, having all kinds of things set up, whether it's great sponsor support, the YouTube channel is going well, like, you know, like you mentioned, there's just a lot of different things going on. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with where I'm at. I didn't necessarily want to go and just fish the opens where I didn't like the schedule at all. And it's nine, nine events is great. And I think it's a good thing for an angler like myself that has experience, has a good proven track record of being a uh, consistent angler. The problem is the more tournaments you fish when it, when you're talking about like the bass opens, which have such a terrible payback system that it just is costing you more money. So even though I think it improves my potential or gives me a better chance of fishing the leads by, you know, by being a good consistent angler, I actually feel like it's, if you don't make it, it's going to cost you more money to do that too. So I'm not necessarily super excited to have to jump into nine opens events. I'd rather be fishing nine events where I could potentially win close to a hundred thousand dollars and there's a lot more $10,000 payouts. So yeah, it it wasn't. It wasn't a super difficult decision for me. Now, having said that, I mean, I know I've talked to a lot of anglers that used to fish and they're not coming back. And I feel like at this point, more than any, you can't really criticize anyone for the decisions they make. It, it really comes down to where does an angler want to fish? What are their personal goals and what fits their lifestyle? You know, and I, I support everyone's decision right now because I don't feel like there is one clear cut best decision when you're talking triple a level events so you know for me based on this upcoming season the invitationals were a pretty easy decision i think when i looked at it yeah i definitely 
I I think if guys look hard, you know, if they look at their options and you really color the invitationals with the fact that it's not the FLW tour, like I feel like that can it could turn someone off just from an emotional standpoint, right? Yep. You know, yep. it's a it's a big change that is not it's it's not positive compared to what was there before. It might long term end up being a much better way for folks to qualify for the Bass Pro Tour or like just compete in like at a AAA level. That said, you know the uh, the days of you know Scott Suggs winning a million dollars for the championship aren't there anymore. Um, but yeah, I think like as far as if you can just if you can separate it out clearly and say these are my routes to qualify for the top level, like I can see why you went where you went. I, I think that, and for you, like I think it's probably a really smart move because, man, you are so due on the Potomac. I'm just I know you're <laughs> due on the Potomac, and uh, Dude, everywhere yeah, else I, is I like, really... looks good for you. Yeah, I'm 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 really excited. Like it's been a while since I'm I'm been raring to go to get out there and you know, I realize it seems like every year I'm fishing things kind of take a little bit of a turn worse, you know, whether it's entry fees go up or payouts go down. Uh I don't know, I just I'm just very much at peace with this. You know, I I think I'm just gotten to the point where I'm uh I'm recognizing that I've got my own personal business to run and I'm making decisions based on my own personal brand and business and you know i i respect mlf's decisions i respect bass's decisions and they have businesses to run too so you know it's just a matter of uh choosing one if you think it's going to help your business in some manner and you know i don't think the platform that's being offered is is terrible there's still some good things about it and and i do think it's better than the other platforms so i mean i'm ex- i'm excited to get out there I think it's going to be a little different having a bunch of friends and uh, traveling buddies and stuff that aren't going to be fishing, but you know, it's, it's, it's a job too. So I'll go out and do my business and hopefully execute the way I expect to execute. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think it could go really well for you and like the way, the way you look at the field, the way the field is shaping up next year and we haven't got an official roster out yet. And I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, let's say, offline. But there's, like, there's definitely, I guess one of the main things is we don't exactly know how many folks are going to fish all of them versus how many folks are going to jackpot them. And that's specifically, like, looking hard at the Bass Pro Tour guys. I don't, I don't think many or any of the guys who are on the Bass Pro Tour now or just qualified in, like, I doubt many of them fish all six of the events because that's a really heavy schedule for anyone who's not Dakota Ebert. Um, <laughs> that said, like, which means, you know, you've essentially got a bunch of talent that'll be pulled out of the standings. Now, they might still be at the tournaments, but you probably won't have to contend with, you know, 20 BPT or semi-BPT guys in the top 40 of points, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, yeah, I... I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to make that top eight in advance, especially this first, 
this first year, it seems like. The, the, the opportunity is there. I mean, I, I think, you know, that's one of the things you look at. If you want to get to the next level and you're comparing the BPT towards the Elite Series, I mean, I'd, I'd rather fish against a smaller field for roughly the same number of spots. And like you said, in this case, we've got 150 boat field, but I'm... I'm guessing we're going to be close to about 125 guys that are fishing all six events. So that shrinks the field down a little bit more because we don't have a championship. Now there might be some turnover, you know, throughout the season. If guys don't start the year off on a good note, they may, you know, drop out in which case maybe, which is what we see happen in the open series. So maybe we end up with only 80 guys or 100 guys fishing so at that point you know you're getting close to the point of 10 percent moving on to the bpt which is a really pretty decent number i mean i i don't i'm not complaining about that at all i do think it's going to change it's going to change the fishing styles a little bit because in the past you know one of the one of the first one of the things i recognized after the first couple of years of fishing the FLW tour when I finished in the middle of the pack was how critical it was to secure a limit. You know, if you secure a limit every day, your chances of making the championship were really good, like Mm -hmm. really, really good. And there's no championship now. So is it going to change the way I fish, the way Mm -hmm. other people fish where maybe we see bigger baits come into play? Maybe we see guys that are just fishing for, five good bites in some form or fashion and because of that maybe it's a big risk maybe it's not but to be in that top eight you're really going to have to have some strong finishes so i think you're going to see more guys taking the risk just because there's no there's no championship to be concerned about and that's you know i I don't know how that's going to come into play i don't know how that's going to affect the points come the end of the year It'll be interesting to see if it changes anything at all. But the the reality is, you know, the based on what we've had in previous years and what we're going to have next year with the Invitational, things are going to be different. And I think we're going to see a little bit different strategy come out from a lot of anglers. You've always been, or I would say, especially recently, been really good at making the championship. Um, have you thought about I guess you've thought about it. Do you have an idea of what a different strategy for Matt Steffen looks like? Yeah. I mean, is it like, for example, last year at, uh, when we started off at Sam Rayburn, I think I finished in the forties, had a $10,000 check. And on, on day one, I left my prime area where when I got bit, they were like two and a half plus pound quality fish, nice quality fish. And I left there with about an hour to go, uh, on the first day to run to a place where I thought I could catch a spotted bass to secure my limit. And that's what I did. I ran there, I caught a spotted bass, but at that point I was nowhere near my primary area. So I just bummed around by the ramp, which is where I caught that spotted bass. And it, it was a huge fish because that one pound, I think I ended up with like 14 pounds on that day. Uh, you know, and it was good enough to help me get a check and secure some good points. But I, I don't think I'd make that same decision next year, this upcoming season. I think if I've got four fish in the live well, I'm not going to, and I think I'm in an area that has better quality fish. I'm going to go for that bigger bite versus loading up and trying to go secure a limit. Yeah, and that might just make sense, too, from, like, 
just a standpoint of your history. Because if you look on the pro circuit, I mean, you've never finished inside the top 10 in points. You've had a lot of really good years. You finished 11th in 2020. Tied for 10th. Tied for tied 10th. For 10th. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You finished inside the top. You finished tied for 10th once. No. Um, but, in, yeah, in there the reality. Is, you know, oh, we used ahead. to just fish for the we used to just fish for the championship, right? Like that yeah, like unless you were in the top yeah. four in points, who cares? You yeah, know? I mean that like is an example of the year that I tied for tenth uh, and finished eleventh. That was the year we ended up at Sandusky Bay to end the season, and you know, I I made the decision in that one. At that point, we thought we had a two year average combined average to qualify for the BPT, and yep. I qualified to fish day three and I, uh, oh no, did I? No, no I, finished, like, I don't think so. You, you call it 14 the and then 12. Yeah. But I, but I remember thinking that I played that safer on day one. I stayed in Sandusky or I stayed, you know, close and, uh, I didn't want to make the big run cause we had really brutal wind conditions and I knew all I needed to do was catch a fish to qualify for the championship. So I stuck, stuck close to the ramp, caught a limit. And then, you know, I, I was sitting decent. I think I had like 14 pounds and I, I decided to make the run to St. Clair, which was 90 some miles to get to the spot I was fishing across, you know, the great lakes. And, uh, I took that risk because at that point I had already locked up the championship. So there was no reason not to fish for a bigger bag. And, you know, I think that's the same decision I'd probably make this upcoming year, but I don't, I wouldn't have fished close. I would have made the big run bolt days, bolt days. regardless of weather. Yeah. It'll, it'll change things. I mean, there's, you know, I, I hate the term swing for the fence because we're all out there trying to win, but when you're fishing for a championship, there's also something to be said for salvaging points and, you know, every point matters come the end of the year. I mean, you'd, after six, seven tournaments, you'd be amazed by how much 10 points can really affect you in the standings. And there's no reason to do that next year. Next year, you're going to you're gonna need to be in the top eight. Otherwise, you're fishing for nothing. What do you think it'll take to make the top eight? Um, it's the same point system. Granted, there'll be some guys dropping in and out. Um, this year... Uh, John Hunter was eighth. He had 988 points. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually looked at that a couple of days ago and I think the two years before that, it took like 940 to be eighth. So, I mean, I think that's where you're going to want to be in that 950 range to have a shot at it. But I think it, it could actually be a lot higher if the, if the fields get smaller or it could, it could be a little bit less if you have a lot of potential uh cherry pickers coming in that maybe are you know local sticks and you have dropout i mean it could just spread the points out a little a little bit more but you know i think in general you you want to still be in that whatever 960 range so you're looking at trying to be like what's that 35th overall for six events an average of 35th somewhere in there you're a lot better at math than I am. I'll trust you on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's uh, it. Makes sense to me. Um, and like, what do you what do you think? Do you I think it'll change more. I don't. If I look at it from sort of an angler standpoint, 
I see a I see a pretty decent chunk of guys who are just extremely high performers recently who aren't going to be fishing a full season or who I don't think will be fishing a full season, right? Like, yeah. I mean, Neil and Lucas and Sheffield and Butler all got over a thousand points. Becker had 996. Like, I, I, I think it could take, if you think, you think like nine, is it 940 or nine that you said that you think is sort of the zone? Not. Yeah, I think I think 960 is the number you're shooting for, minimum. To feel comfortable, I think. If you get to the 960, you have a shot at it. Yeah, I think that I could see... I guess I could see that. I just could see a scenario where... Well, man, look at 2020. Have you looked at... Did you look at the... Oh, no, 2020 we can't use because we were giving out more points in the Super Tournaments. So you got to look at 2019. Yeah, but we had more events in 2019. Well, but then, then yeah, then you go back to seven events. Yeah. All right. Never mind. I have no idea what to do with the math, but I mean, you know, the 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 thing, Jody, is no matter. It's like you know, I've had some people be like, "Well, you know, the guys coming in aren't as good as some of the guys you're leaving, so it's going to be easier to do well." I, you know. I take the stance that there's a lot of really good anglers at all levels out there, and somebody's going to catch them at every tournament. So points only matter if you perform well. And I, it's it's going to be one tournament at a time. I think if you can, you know, if you can if you can have six top 50s, you're going to have a shot. You know, if a couple of those are top 20 type finishes, and I mean that's my ultimate goal: cash cash a check in every event. Go, you know, six top 50s, hope you jack a couple of good ones, maybe a couple of top 10s and carry it, you know, that'll carry you a long way. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy too. Because like if you looked at the pro circuit field in 2022 and you said, well, you know, Josh Butler, Mitch Crane, they don't, you know, have long track records of incredible success. Like we're not going to worry about them too much. Well, Josh Butler kind of almost won AOI. Both those guys are headed to the Bass Pro Tour. Like, yeah, you would have, you would have written off some really good talent if you didn't I, just sort of wait for it to I happen. Like, I like to take the stance that if somebody's willing to put five thousand dollars down on fishing a tournament, they're pretty confident in their skills. Like, that's how I look <laughs> at it. Like, I, I don't think I'd put down five thousand dollars if I wasn't confident I could go make money in that tournament. And if most people have that mindset, the reality is they're probably capable uh, in at any point of winning a tournament. Yeah, there is a little bit of misplaced confidence, I will say, in uh, probably every <laughs> tournament. But I think that for the most part, you're probably right. <laughs> I feel like I had another question sort of on this subject. Do you remember what it was? Do you have a inside insight into my mind? Not no, <laughs> not not offhand. No. All right. You wanted maybe maybe about if I'm going to perform better this year than last year. Yeah, that's actually is it. Like, so this last year, you didn't make the title. You finished seventy third in points. It was not really a very Matt Stephanie year. Um, what gives? <laughs> you shouldn't. You could have just Dude. not brought that up. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, well, I mean, I think about it all the time, and I, I'm the funny thing is, it, it, when you look at the results, it wasn't a good year for me. But I've had years where at the end of the year, you look back and you're like, how did I, how did I end up with that good year? Like, man, I felt like I was struggling, and this year I felt really good about everything I did. I feel like my decision making was really good. And when I look back on it, there were two really big fish that I lost that would have dramatically improved my results. And then, uh, like I, I look at the last tournament of the year on, on Champlain and I went after big largemouth and I, on day one and I, sh- I should have stuck with my bread and butter and chased the smallmouth and caught 19 pounds like I did on day two. And I would have had a much better tournament. Like, I feel like if I'd chased the smallmouth I had found, I would have been in the top 10 because the other handful of guys fishing that same area all were in the top 10. And, yep. um, you know, so, you know, six events seems like a long season, but man, you, one lost fish here, one lost fish there, one bad decision can cost you quite a bit. And it, it was a year, generally speaking, I feel like I get a couple of good bites each tournament. And this year I felt like, the couple of good bites I lost and I just had a lot of events like, like Gunnersville. I mean, I, I caught more fish at Gunnersville in uh, this year than any other year I've been at Gunnersville. I mean, I had a ball, like I caught a lot of fish and I never had a big bite. I had, I had one that was like a four pounder. And then I don't think I had another three pound class fish. And I know the areas I was fishing, other guys did well. So whether I just did something wrong or I just got unlucky and didn't get that big bite, I, I don't have the answer to that. But I really don't feel like it was that bad of a year. Like, I got to sit down and look at the results and be like, man, it was a bad year. <laughs> um, what were your key so, fish losses? Uh, well, I had one at uh, in the first tournament, tournament of the year, Rayburn, that it was, it was probably a... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll very conservatively, I'll say it was four and a half, but I think it was closer to like six. And I had it in the last 10 minutes of day two, it would have replaced a pound and a half or would have bumped me way up. I would have picked up, I don't know, 30 points, something like that easily. And that was one where I had it, uh, I turned the fish, got, he came up and did a big head shake and came off so that was one the other one was on day one at pickwick um i had i had one that was easily another five pounds just it was the biggest i had one that was like four and a half in the live well at that point already and it was a it was i was flipping uh wood and brought him to the boat and he came to the boat and like i was reaching to put the net underneath him and he came up and jumped about two feet from the net and just spit it and that was a a really nice fish and that one as well would have bumped me uh i think i weighed like a two pounder so you know those are big coals uh in both those tournaments um so those are the two that really hurt me and then i feel like the decision at champlain to go after largemouth on day one was was a bad one and you know and those two lost fish if i pick up 30 points in both those tournaments that puts me like right at the championship cutoff line. And if I had chased smallmouth and executed remotely better than I did for largemouth, I would have ended up picking up another, you know, 
30 points, no problem. What about the James River? Because you finished 108th in that one, which is like notably your worst finish on the season. Did yeah. nothing go wrong there? It you just never got on them. What was the deal? I caught I caught a pile of fish. Uh, you know that I title title rivers have been my nemesis at this point. I I don't have the timing down. I have seen how good it can be when you have when you're in the right place at the right time. I've seen how good tidal water can be and how important that is. And as much as I feel like I know what I need to be doing, and I have not been able to really truly execute on the timing deal and at the James, I mean, I was making the run all the way up, up the, uh, not Nanjaboy. What the heck is that called? The, Chick uh, Omni. Thank you. And, uh, I mean, like, I mean, I, that it's just so timing. I mean, I was in the area, I room with Chris grow and he was in second or third with a 20 pound bag. And we were fishing a lot of the same spots and he just, like, you know, he hit one stretch where he caught three, like five to six pounders in like a half hour. And that's just how, how it can be. So I, I, that was a tournament. I never, I never got a big bite. I was fishing around a lot of the same guys that did really well. I, I caught a ton of fish and I feel like that's the type of place specifically if you go up to Chickahominy where you can catch 25 fish and have eight pounds, or you could catch five fish and have 17 pounds and i i decided to just kind of fish through the tides and try to catch numbers and i caught a pile of fish like catching a limit was not an issue at all in that event but man i just never had a i don't think i ever had a fish over two and a half pounds i think i weighed like 10 11 pounds the first day and 10 the next and didn't do anything special and i'll not, not that I like to make excuses, but I did have, uh, I did lose day one of practice due to motor issues. We had, we had uh, a really bad storm that came through the day before practice started. And I'm pretty sure, uh, I don't think I, my boat got hit by lightning, but we had, I think a lightning strike, like really close by. Cause there was a huge power surge in the house I was in. And after that, I had major electrical issues in the boat. So I like I spent the day one of practice at a Yamaha dealer, kind of redoing all my wiring and everything was fried. So I, not that I like to point fingers, but in two days of practice, one day of practice is a big a, a big deal. Yeah, yeah. But I still feel like I was in the area to do to do well. I mean, I I know I was. I saw big fish get caught around me. I just didn't get that big bite. Hmm. Um. You also lost some big fish at the title, or no, not the title, just at the St. Lawrence, the regular old St. Lawrence, not a championship. Do you, have you like done self-interrogating about how to not lose fish, or are you just confident enough in like your sort of skills and the odds and like, hey, it's a little bit of a bad stretch, it's going to work out, or... Am I throwing extra worry at you for no reason? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's part of fishing. Like, I, I'm one that likes to think that if you're losing fish, it's because you're getting that many bites. Like, you're going to lose fish. And over the course of my career, the, the you know, there's, there's three tournaments I feel like I could have won or I had the fish on to win. 
And in all three of those, I had I had fish loss issues. If I take those three out, I generally catch the big fish. Like I generally feel like that's a big part of my success over the years is I don't have fish losing problems. And part of me just thinks that that goes back to, uh, you know, when it's your time, it's your time, right? Like, you know, at at the St. Lawrence river, I finished second, you know, that was two years ago. And I lost a fish every day of that event, all four days. I lost one that had I caught it, it would have, it would have gained, it would have allowed me to upgrade the, the, 12 ounces or whatever I needed to, to, uh, surpass Cody Pike. So, you know, and my assumption was, man, we're talking about heavy current, light line, big, small mouth, like everyone who's probably in the top 10 is losing big fish. And like everyone was everyone, you know, I talked with Ron Nelson, lost a bunch of fish, you know, uh, Scott Dobson lost a bunch of fish. Like there were definitely people losing fish, which is part of the nature with, those smallmouth, and then you know i asked cody about it and cody's like i never lost fish in four days <laughs> and i'm like i'm like you gotta be kidding me so you know i i i i don't know if it's when it's your time it's your time or what but i mean yeah you know that was an event that i i mean i caught like i caught 80 plus pounds of smallmouth over four days so i mean it wasn't like i didn't catch any big fish i definitely did i had big bass of that tournament and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like in that event, there was anything I could have done differently. I don't feel like in the two fish that I lost last year, that were the two biggest bites I had all season. Uh, there was anything I could have done differently. And, you know, in the, in the previous events, in one of the events I did, I, I had a really good finish at Beaver Lake. It was the last time we were at Beaver Lake and I was, I was using too light a line. And I know that was a mistake I made. So that was an error on my part. But the other event, uh, the U.S. Open, I don't know what year it was, probably like 2017. That we One of the days was canceled. I was sitting in second or third after the, the first day of competition. So there was only one day left. And <clears throat> I had uh, I, I lost two fish that day that would have given me the win. And one of those... I jumped off on a top water, so I don't feel like I could have done anything differently. And the other one, my, my co-angler, uh, who had never fished before. And so I'm not, I'm not blaming him, but he, he netted a small mouth or tried to net a small mouth and hung the crankbait on the outside of the net. And then Ooh. went to just try to swing the fish in the boat. And it was like a two and a half pounder and it just pulled off. So, you know, that one would have helped, but it's just part of the game. I mean, we do it for a living. So we're on the water. How many days out of the year? I mean, you're going to lose some fish. Like as much as we try to control every variable, there's not, you're not going to be able to do it. Sometimes you set the hook and you skin hook the fish. Sometimes you set the hook and it just doesn't, it doesn't work in your favor for whatever reason. And, you know, last year, the two big fish I lost were both on Texas rigs. So it wasn't like I was doing anything crazy. It wasn't like it was a treble hooks. It just, they came off and they, they were two that hurt me. Interesting. Yeah. I I don't, I'm kind of with you. Like generally, if you're catching enough fish to win, you can probably overcome some lost fish a lot of times, or it's one of those things where you have a Cody Pike situation and it just all clicks, you know, like you, 
if lost fish are hurting you so badly that you don't win, you might just need to be on more fish. Uh, maybe, and I don't know even if that tracks necessarily, but it, sometimes it feels like that's how it is, or it just yeah, I, all happens. <laughs> you talk, you, there's some guys out there you talk to, and they they're like every tournament they're losing fish. If that were happening to me, I'd be a lot more cognizant of the fact that hey, maybe I need to change something. But you know, when I look at the season and I only lost a couple of fish, I mean, I fished you know, clean at so many other events where I never lost a fish throughout the entire event. It, you know, I don't, I don't feel like there's a problem there. I just feel like it, it happens. And you know, the, the, the thing is the sport is such a, there's such a finite line between success and failure that, you know, one or two fish throughout the course of the year can change the whole year for you. Yeah. Um, before we move on to like some other stuff, I wanted to talk a couple of, changes for next year and you kind of brought one of them up we're going back to three days of practice uh yep. thoughts opinions on that well so that that is one thing that i like for myself um i <laughs> i thought i was really gonna like the two days of practice because you know at this point i've fished these bodies of water for the most part for long enough but i i really feel like that was hurting me because i i'm an angler that does not pre-practice so i don't head to a body of water you know if, if like for example we're going to okeechobee to start there'd be a lot of guys normally that would go from okeechobee to clark's hill and then spend two weeks there before off limits this year we've got a 30-day off limit so i don't think it's going to be a huge factor but the the two days of practice was not quite enough for me, I think, in hindsight, to really dial in what I wanted to do and then find enough water of doing whatever technique or pattern I was fishing. And so I'm excited to have three days. You know, one of the things that I love to do is look for off-the-wall stuff. And in if you have three days of practice, you can kind of afford to give up a half-day to go look for that, whether that's trying to get into a backwater pond or running up a river or going, sitting out in the middle of a lake, looking for roaming fish, whatever it is, you know, it gives you a little bit more time to do that with two days of practice. What I really found myself doing was trying to establish a pattern like, well, actually try to run the entire lake the first day and then figure out okay, well, where do I want to spend day two based on how day one went? You know, if I had more bites on the lower end of the lake, I'd concentrate day two down there. And I just, I just felt like I was being spread out too much and it was hurting me. So I'm excited to get three days of practice. I think it's, I think it's going to just help me overall. You know, I, I think there's a huge advantage for the guys that are able to go spend pre-practice time on a body of water. I think it's, um, you know, you, you can't, you can't substitute experience on a lake. And if you've got guys that were camping out for a week or two prior to it going off limits, they're gaining a lot of experience. And, you know, I think that's something that I, anybody can choose to do it. It just really didn't fit into my schedule well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're talking about fishing the AAA events, I mean, the expenses are already so high that it, if you went and you, you go do that for, three, four days. I mean, you're talking about at that point, you're cashing a check just to break even from all the practice time with the tournament expenses. So it didn't make sense for me to do. 
So I'm really looking forward to getting three days again because I think it'll help me. Uh, and I'm excited for the fact that they changed it to a 30-day off limits as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I like... I, I like both of those things. I feel like one of the problems, and you ran into it with the two days of practice, is that a mechanical issue can like totally throw yeah. your practice. Whereas three days, you can overcome that, I think. You have more room for error, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, I think it it it, it allows guys that didn't pre-practice the ability to kind of level that practice period a little bit. Because, you know, ultimately the practice right before the tournament is more important than something that was a couple of weeks before the tournament. But, I mean, half the time it takes you two days just to, to figure out a way to catch fish. And then at that point you feel like you're running around in the tournament trying to work on a pattern you found at the end of the second day of practice. And, you know, the more practice days you can have, the better. Now, having said that, you know, that was one thing that I I like that the Bassmaster opens – cut back to five days of official practice versus it being open. But I mean, five days to me is still way too much. Yeah. I, uh, I hear you. I kind of, I like, I think I've practiced for five days for a tournament before. And like, by the time I got to the end of it, I was like twiddling my thumbs. I'm like, I do not know what else to do. I like, I was just like, I was wasting time on purpose because like, I knew, hey, well, maybe I'll find something. Uh, yeah. Whereas, like, four days, I feel like you can fill four days in pretty good. Three days, definitely. Two days, I think I'd be in a huge rush. But Yeah, I think, I think three days three days is the right amount. If it's not three days, I'd rather just show up and fish with no practice. Like, make it completely off limits. But yeah, I, to, me, to me, three days is, is the right amount. And, and, and just to be clear, I... I was one that wanted two days. Like when we had a survey, I don't know if it was the start of this year or two years ago, I, I voted for two days. Like I thought it was something that I would have, I would prefer. And in hindsight, I don't think it helped me one bit. How did you practice for Champlain last year? Cause in the course of two days of practice, you did find essentially like maybe the best school on the lake, you know, the best smallmouth spot on the lake in two days, which is pretty <laughs> yeah. impressive. It's a big lake. Uh, well, yeah, which is funny because that's an area that I've never fished before either, really. Um, not, not I guess, where I caught those fish. But, you know, I, I went there. Um, I checked. So I started on the north end of the lake the first day, which is where I like to fish, up by, like, Rouse's Point, that end of the lake. And I, I was very unimpressed, like, I caught some fish, but I had nothing over like two and a half pounds and it just was not fishing the way I like to fish. And I was like, I'm going to go over the inland sea area. And I went up through, uh, carry Bay and all that. And I, I've got some largemouth stuff in there and I stopped in there and I found like no, no good grass at all. And I was like, well, that's weird. So you know generally that's not good but when i saw that i was like well if i can find some good grass somewhere maybe that will uh congregate the largemouth so i i just i continued i went over i started smallmouth fishing i actually what i'm really disappointed with with that tournament is uh i, I mean i basically found the the winning fish too like i i mean the area i spent a lot of time on 
on day one after I gave up on the largemouth was fishing up like where Kyle Hall was and oh, wow. Dakota Eber was up there for a while too. So I was fishing that area and I just didn't give myself enough time. I went up there, I caught like a three and three quarter, my best fish on day one in that last hour, cold out several fish. And that's how I got to pretty much my 14 and a half pounds. Um, but I liked the area I had uh, down south a little bit too. So I went to that on day two, but needless to say, when I was practicing, I ran through, uh, and went down into the inland sea and, you know, I just was bumping around spots and I had another area where I've, I've caught them before flipping milfoil. So I went and checked that and that had good grass in it. So then I, and I got several really nice bites. Like, I mean, I shook one off that I no was six pounds i had another one that i shook off that was in the five pound range i set the hook on two and they both were three and a half plus and i shook you know i so i did that for several hours and had like 15 bites and they all felt good and wow. and the thing is there was not a lot of grass but when you found the right little clump of grass you could pretty much call your shot so i i was excited for it i'm like dude i think i can catch you know 20 20 plus pounds doing this without much not i don't want to say without problem but i felt like it, i had the shot of potentially catching like a 22 pound bag yeah which and, is huge uh, on champlain yeah which is the type of thing that can carry like my whole plan was to pound on the largemouth and then go do my smallmouth thing and try to have that largemouth bag carry me because because like i went into that event where I was like, maybe if I win, I have an outside shot of bumping up into the championship round. So I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Like I've never fished largemouth there really before or thought about using them as a primary pattern. I've always kind of worked them in here and there maybe for a little bit, but I was like, if I'm going to win this event and have any shot at all, I need that 22 pound bag. And I felt like that was my best way to go and do it. And I don't know what, I don't know what happened. I mean, I fished till, I think it was like almost noon to, you know, it was, it was over. It was half pretty late in the day when I rolled up on you on the smallmouth stuff. Yeah. I had, and when you rolled up on me, I had just kind of started fishing smallmouth. I don't even think I had a limit. I think I had like two or three fish at that point. Cause I only caught two largemouth and they both were like two pounders. They were nothing special. And yeah, I left there and you know, I, I, I guess salvaged the day and had 14 and a half pounds fish and smallmouth basically. And then on day two, I decided to switch it up, go to a different part of the lake and showed up there, <laughs> showed up there and instantly knew I made a mistake when like the four or five other boats fishing around me were all in the top 20. And I'm like, <laughs> gosh, dang it. And you know, Oops. you know how, you know how Champlain is. I mean, if you're in the right area, you're probably going to catch the same fish that everyone else is catching. And everyone had 18 to 20 pounds and everyone had 18, to 20 pounds on day two. You know, I had 19 on day two. So like, I, I feel very confident that I, I would have come out of there on day one with a good bag too, but you know, it is, it is what it is that, that lake, like I wish I'm so jealous of you, Jody, because that is a lake I would love to spend so much time on. Cause I do feel like, I feel like there's a lot of really good, com I don't, I guess community areas, but I think there's so much on, you know, those, those little gems out there that nobody fishes and the lake's so dang big that you got to spend some serious time out there in order to find that stuff. 
Yeah, I wish I I wish I fished it more than I do because it's, I mean, it's a amazing lake. And you're right, like it's it's so big, and like some of that, you know, the size is a problem because yeah, when you're talking about you know just from a running around standpoint from a tournament planning standpoint like you can make bad decisions and cost yourself a tremendous amount of time but yeah it's also just so cool and there's so many places you can go and catch a great bag of fish that like a handful of people know about and i'm sure it only hits on you know different certain times of the year but Man, if you're like really a true local there and you've put the time in, like, I, yeah, there's a reason why the locals on that lake do well, like, very consistently. Um, and there's not really any like, you know, local guys who fish pro level events there, you know, which is kind of, kind of interesting. You know, there's, I, it's hard to be a pro and be a local too, but you know, whenever we go to the Tennessee River, there's like. 10 local pros in the tournament, you know, and that Champlain, <laughs> that's never the case basically. Yeah. It's, it, it's just one of those places. It's, it's a joy to go and fish. Like I love seeing it on the schedule. It sets up, it sets up great for me. Like I feel, I feel like I'm almost in Wisconsin in a way, you know, it, it, it just, it's just beautiful. Like that's all I can say. I mean, it's one of those places like if there was any way to make this year's schedule better, it would have had it would have been to have like Champlain on there instead of the Potomac River. Like in my a perfect world for me would be to be able to fish Okeechobee, Champlain, and the Mississippi River out of lacrosse. Like those three places are just fantastic fisheries that are truly unique to themselves. And that's what I like. That would be my three perfect lakes to put on a schedule. Um, we talked about the practice time a little bit. How do you pre-practice? Because if you're not going to the tournament, surely you're spending a bunch of time on the internet or on Google Earth. Like, what's your kind of like pre-learning process like? Um, because yeah, I feel like doing that well is kind of hard. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um. I think the I do less of it the more I fish, meaning like the more I try to just rely on instincts when I get to the water. You know, I I don't I don't really care about like the best local baits to use. I don't really care about uh, like areas where the fish are getting caught. For the most part, what I'm the the two biggest things that I want to know is what type of weight am I looking for. Meaning, you know, if I get to a lake and I'm catching two pounders, is that good or is that not good? Mm -hmm. So I want to know that. And, and I spend most of my time is more related to looking at aerial photos. Like, I think, I think that's a huge advantage. I won't even say advantage because everyone does it, but I love, I love to try to find little nuggets that I can find on Google earth and, different things like that where, you know, you kind of have a bunch of little one hitters, you know, and you can run them. If you're in an area, you can swing in and hit a brush pile quick or a little rock or something like that. And to me, that's, those, those are, uh, that's about as close as I can get to actually being on the water. 
you know, where I'm actually fishing that body water. And if I can't do that, then I want to find the places that I feel extremely confident are going to provide bites. And that, you know, that's to me, Google Earth is the one way I can do that. Okay. Makes sense. Um, do you like use the sliders and stuff to go back in time and look at water levels a lot? Or do you just like, do you like to be like, I'm going to look at whatever the most current or applicable thing is does that make sense no it's all yeah i'm 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 very much always looking for the ideal picture and and that's not necessarily just the water being low it could be you know if you're going to say gunnersville you want to know where the grass grows you want to know you know is there a creek channel good creek channel to find edge that goes through a grass flat things like that so it's I'm always playing around with images. Generally speaking, you can't go back much further than maybe like 2012 just because the aerial photos themselves aren't that good. But, uh, you know, between and over the last 10 years, most lakes you'll be able to get like, I'll, I'll say like four or five different images to look at. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, while we're on sort of rules, sort of new stuff, you guys can throw the Alabama rig next year on the Invitationals. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Did you know it was in the rules when you signed up? It's been a while since you've been able to throw it in your tournaments. <laughs> yeah, so I saw it when the rules first came out. I saw it, and I looked at it, and I was like, huh, that's weird. And I actually kind of thought maybe it was just a typo just because we haven't been able to have it. But Yeah, like they copied uh, and pasted from the Toyota series and missed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, it was something, you know, where I was like, oh, well, that's kind of kind of interesting. Like, how is that going to play? And then I looked at the schedule, and I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. Uh, I, I mean, I think Clark's Hill Clark's Hill. could play. Yeah. But, you know, Okeechobee, Lacrosse, Potomac, you follow in the spring. Maybe, you know, maybe at Lake of the Ozarks, but I think that's going to be a good spawning event. So I I don't I don't know that it's going to be a huge player, but I think it'll be interesting to see it. You know, I do I'm I'm totally fine with it. Like I I didn't really I guess I didn't care one way or the other when they banned it, but I'm I'm okay with it, except for the fact that when you have one rigged up, they're kind of a pain in the butt to have in the boat if you've got 20 rods laying out. But uh, you know, I'll I'm sure I'll incorporate it into my arsenal at some point. Yeah, it seems like Clark's Hill will probably see a lot on deck. You fall a pretty good chance we'll see some on deck. I guess some of that could depend a little bit on sort of Oklahoma weather and things of that nature. But yeah, yeah. Outside of that, I mean. Maybe somebody will get on like a really cool umbrella rig by the Mississippi River, but I feel like if that was a thing, it would happen in BFLs. So, you know, well, it, I think that it, probably yeah, works. It is, but it's generally a fall thing. Like yeah, it's we're, not, it's not going to be much of a player when we're there. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, it, it'll be cool, at least for me. I, I, I like the umbrella rig. I'm kind of, I want to. One thing that has annoyed me about not having the umbrella rig thrown at the top level is I always want to see what, like, the best anglers in the world do with a bait. And I think there are some a lot of, like, there are definitely local umbrella rig experts. And there are guys who I'm very interested in learning from. But, like, 
man, I would kind of like to know what Jacob Wheeler thinks about umbrella rigs. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to watch him throw one just like I'd like to watch John Cox, you know, fish a, fish a stick worm. <laughs> yeah. It seems like, it seems like a lot of people say it's lost its luster. Now, I, I mean, I haven't thrown an umbrella rig in like years to be honest with you. And I, I don't know. I find it hard to believe that it's lost its luster, but maybe it has because maybe it, it's just not that new bait anymore and the fish have gotten wise to it. But you'll see guys throwing it this year. It'll it'll for sure be a player. I mean, do you, do you see guys throwing it that much in the Toyota Series events? Because it's been legal in those. I don't feel like we see that much of it unless it's a kind of that fall event. Yeah, you see it in like the specific things, you know pre-spawn or fall but I, I feel like we haven't you know it, we saw it a lot at the toyota series championship early in the event yeah um but most of the guys who made the cut and like moved on and did well it wasn't really a factor for them um mm. and yeah it, it definitely like it seems like it doesn't work as well as it used to but there are definitely still some times where it really works. So it's maybe, you know, maybe it used to be one, it, it, there were times where it really, really worked. And then a lot of times where it, you know, kind of worked and also it was a new bait. And now yeah. all those times where it kind of worked, like there are other more efficient ways to catch them. I don't know. Well, we will see it. I, I just don't think it's going to be like, six events won by the Alabama rig. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it has a shot depending on, you know, you follow and Clark's Hill. And I, I suspect we'll know a little bit better as we get closer to those events. I would say it's got a shot to win either of those, but the other ones, it seems unlikely. Um, yeah. Although Lake of the Ozarks is a big umbrella rig lake in the spring. We've had like several of those, like kind of, you know, those cold weather pre-spawn yep. winter tournaments have been like kind of dominated by the umbrella when we've gone there. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it'll, it'll catch fish there too. I just think you're going to have so many shallow fish in that event. Cause that's the first, I think it's the first week of May. Yeah. And I, that should be like, it should be pretty prime. awesome. Yeah. It should be, yeah. It should be a good event. I'm like, I'm looking forward to fishing there. I, and that's the other, one other thing I really like about the schedule this year is we're fishing some massive fisheries. Like they're all very, very big fisheries to the yes. point where pressure shouldn't be a huge issue. No, dude, like Clark's Hill is gigantic. You fall is <laughs> really big too. Okeechobee, as we know, is like sometimes really big and sometimes everyone fishes within a half mile of each yeah. other. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I think that especially with a, 150 boats which you know really in the scheme of bass tournaments is not a gigantic it's field small, i mean you fished against <laughs> a ton of fields that are bigger than that like yeah it'll be you guys are gonna have a lot a lot of room to roam next year yeah so i'm i'm excited for it. like i really feel like the schedule is good i think the fisheries are good and you know i'm i'm looking to go have some fun this year all right well one thing that is also coming up in pro maybe this year but probably next year is you're starting a lure company uh which i feel like is a really smart thing like it it fits right in with your uh sort of 
like having multiple irons in the fire and you know figuring out other ways to make money and do things uh but tell me about it when did you decide to start a lure company what's the nitty-gritty on this yeah so uh you know lure lure company is kind of relative right i, I mean I, it, we're coming out with a couple of baits this is the next strike uh, king. yeah <laughs> You said that I did not. Uh, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of work um, with Johnny Schultz, who has the Fish the Moment YouTube channel, and I do a lot of. Um, I, I just been working with him on a lot of different projects, and we were talking one day about some bait designs that we wish we had had, or bait, you know, things that we wish we could do with certain baits. And it was funny because at one point I'm like, man, I've got this idea for a swim bait. And, you know, I just think it would crush. And we started talking about it and he's like, dude, I've I've thought that same thing. And so we started talking about we're like, why don't we why don't we try to come to market with this? So this was probably back in I'm going to say April or May. And, uh, you know, so we we we're at the point now where we've had our prototypes made and we're getting ready to put that into production. It's a very, very unique. There's nothing like it on the market from a swim bait perspective and uh it i mean i've been just crushing fish on it to the point where my little boy hank has been he's been fishing wednesday night tournaments with me and he's just in the back of the boat throwing it and catching half our way in fish uh so we've got that i'm sold (laughs) we've we've got another uh another design for it's a uh hover strolling hook which is a technique a finesse technique that i absolutely love and again, there's nothing, you know, it's such a new technique that there's not much tackle specifically for it. And uh, so, yeah, we've got these two designs. That one is, uh, I should be getting the prototypes in the mail any day. Um, it's the prototypes of the production mold. So assuming that they're right, then at that point, that should be able to go into production. And hopefully we'll be uh, taking pre-orders, at least cl- we're hoping for the end of the year. And then at that point, you know, we'll move forward with it, but we're really, really what we're looking at doing is creating products that fit or that, that fix a problem with specific techniques. You know, they may be more niche type baits, but the reality is, you know, a lot of bigger companies can't come out with a product that's not going to sell that many because they're, uh, they, they fill a niche, right? They're smaller products. And in our case, because we're doing the marketing ourselves through YouTube and we're doing the production and we're selling it through, uh, you know, our own personal website at that point, we can afford to spend a little bit more on making them because we don't have a middleman. And it's just it's really just about making products that we think are going to fix issues, fix fix problems with certain techniques and if we think we can do that and we think we can come to market with it because it catches fish then we'll, we'll go ahead and do it but i don't i don't necessarily foresee this at, at the moment being you know some sort of thing where we come out with you know 100 different baits and want to have something in every certain product line i mean at this point we've got we've got a handful of different designs that uh, both of us over the years have thought would be cool. Um, but depending on the success of the first couple of baits, we'll see, you know, maybe they completely flop and we lose a bunch of money and we say we're not making any more. 
maybe they do well and that allows us to fund some of our other little projects we want to take on. What's like the process of starting uh, a bait company? Like, are you, because like somebody has to make them, right? And you're not making them and I don't think Johnny is making them, right? Yeah. Like what's the, maybe it's like a much longer process, but how how is, how do you go from, hey, I've got an idea to these are baits and packs? So maybe that's uh, a three hour question. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, I've got with these baits, I had, uh, prototypes, I guess you could say, or things that I had made up. And then at that point we went to uh, a production company and said, Hey, can, you know, you refine this and make a, a final design. Is this something that's doable at a mass production level? And, you know, you can kind of get some general costs to see if it would even be uh, financially feasible. And at that point, you know, they can draw it up in their CAD systems and send you uh, prototypes to play around with so you can see what you like or don't like. And, you know, eventually, hopefully you come up with a product where you feel comfortable with it that you can take to the production. But it's, you know, the the. It, it's been a long, longer process than I would have liked. You know, it's one of those things where you'd like to be able to sit down and talk to a designer at one of these companies and just say, okay, this is what I want. They draw it up and you're like, okay, we're done. But it, there's a lot of going back and forth to make sure that at least in our case, there was a lot of going back and forth to make sure that the product fit the needs that we wanted, you know, and um you get a product and then we'd take it out and fish with it and try to refine on it based on our own personal experience. So it's been a slower process, but I think it's been a good thing too, because we want to make sure that it catches fish. We want to make sure that it meets the the demands that we are putting on it. Johnny, Johnny is one of the most picky guys that I know when it comes to fishing. I mean, he, he has things he specifically likes and I'm, such a tackle tinkerer that there are things that I feel strongly about. And between the two of us, we've got a pile of good ideas. And, but the process is pretty straightforward in terms of just going back and forth with a, with a, a, a production company. Now, having said that, I mean, you know, the, the process isn't necessarily cheap either. You got to make prototype molds and then you got to make production molds and, you know, you got to go through the process of actually producing it and if you're looking at producing you're not doing all of this to make a hundred baits you know you're you're doing it with the idea that you're going to be able to to sell a decent amount of them to make it worth your while because you you got to sell a, a pretty good pile of them just to recoup your initial uh design expenses hmm. what's in that case like what's a i guess i don't know how much these things are retailing for or anything like that but like what's a successful do you know how you define success with this company? Uh, we've so we've got personal goals in terms of uh, how many SKUs of each we would like to sell to make it to the point where we feel like it would be worthwhile. Um, but you know, when I compare that, I have no nothing to compare that to with respect to like what a a Berkeley would sell in terms of number of skews of each so i i don't know offhand i think it really just comes down to for us we know you know if we could if we could sell several thousand packs at that point it pays for itself and it, it generates a little bit of income 
and it allows us to potentially roll that money over into another bait. I mean, I, neither of us are doing this with the idea of, uh, you know, becoming rich and creating, like you said, the next strike king. I think both of us, both of us are really looking at this more of a means of producing the baits that we want to use and that we've wanted for a long time, which is kind of cool in itself. So, you know, I've, I've built a lot of baits in the past. I've, I've, uh, build my own rods. So I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of catching fish on things that I've built. So if I can do, if I can have success on baits that I've built and have other people catching fish on baits that I've built, I just think that would be very rewarding. And I, I, and to the point where I don't need to make much money to make it worthwhile. All right. Well, I'm just going to assume that you're going to sell as many of these as Berkeley has sold flatworms and, uh, we'll go from there. (laughs) I'm uh, shooting for the moon. <laughs> I, I don't know how many that is, but I would say if we could sell 1% of the packs of flatworms, we would be very happy with that. Let's say you sell 10% I don't know. of the packs of flatworms. You become a multi-bazillionaire. Are you going <laughs> to quit tournament fishing? <laughs> are you just going to sit on the couch, or are we just... Locked no, in I, I would. Matt Stephan. <laughs> I would buy. I, I would buy a lake house on every lake that we go to, so that I have a place to stay for each of the tournaments. That sounds really. That's nice, what actually. I. If I had all the money in the world, I'd have a lake house on every lake, and then just fish all the tournaments and have a free place to stay. I think that would be a really good plan, actually. I think you're doing. <laughs> I think you're doing it right. <laughs> we need to make this a success because I feel like maybe I could. Bum a, bum a night or two at some of these places i think i think they'd be if i'm a bazillionaire i think there'd be plenty of bedrooms all right now we're talking oh i guess that was pretty much everything that i had um and we've been talking for over an hour now which i love but also i know you have stuff to do i have stuff to do um it's gonna get dark soon in vermont because you know it's 320 <laughs> <laughs> in december or well, no, do it's you guys November still. Ice, do, you, do you have ice yet? On the pond, but not on lakes. Uh, I'm going to fish Champlain we, tomorrow. Ah, uh, dang. We, uh, we, iced, we iced this past week has been pretty brutal in terms of icing over. I thought I might be able to get out. This weekend they're saying it's supposed to be 42, but we iced over, so I don't think that's happened. Yeah, I mean, if you could get through it to like a bigger lake maybe, but... 42 still like once you have ice it's kind of harder to lose it than it is to make it it seems like sometimes but well and that's the thing i mean we've got another three three or four days of building ice before we get to saturday so yeah i'm pretty sure it's not happening that sucks yeah sorry about that (laughs) yeah i'll send you pictures of smallmouth please Um, do Okay. But anyway, man, you have a bunch of uh, social media and places that we can follow you and find you. Uh, please tell me about them. <laughs> uh, pretty much Matt Stefan fishing at everything, you know, so meaning Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Matt Stefan fishing. Check them out. I very much appreciate the support. Jody, I very, uh, very much appreciate you having me on. I had a blast. All right, well, Matt, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I'll see you at Okeechobee. Sounds good. Looking forward to it.